All right, and so this week we're going to release another little this un, our unedited mini episode of the draft. So we had some positive feedback when I did this last week. Um, so we're going to do a draft, um, which is something we I think people do enjoy and we like doing, but adding it to the normal episode where I spend a lot of time editing sort of became a, a little bit too much of a burden on me. So. We're trying these little mini draft episodes as a separate thing that I just released unedited with all our uhs and ums and our stunned silences. Um, so, yeah, so here's the draft. So this is pack one, pick one, cards in contention. Uh, the rare is Crack the Earth, which is the one-time black market um, spell that plays a 1-1 cultist or gets a 5-cost card from your black market. The uncommons, uh, there's a pillar of progress, which is the plus 1 maximum power when you play a relic weapon. It gets plus 1 attack, and it's uh, 2 Cambrai. There's a waystone gate, which is the 3-time pay 3 to draw a sigil from your deck of your choice. And then after the third use, sacrifice it and play an 8-8. And then there's the mysterious, <clears throat> the mysterious waystone, which is the five shadow shadow, um, deal one damage to the opponent and gain one life at the end of their turn, and increase this by one every time you sacrifice a creature. And then, so those are pretty powerful suite of uncommons. As far as commons go, the main ones I think that are in contention could be a humbug nest a Sky King Storyteller, um, or maybe a Stone Powder Bomber. Is that about right for you, Hats? Oh, sorry, I was having a stunned silence. Uh, yeah, that's about right. Those are the cards in contention, yeah. Uh, I mean, also, uh, I guess we've got to consider Ruinous Burst if we wanted to draft like Cass. We <laughs> would uh, definitely be putting that in the, in the pile first. And then picking up your spell damage later. Uh, but no, I would say that uh, Waystone Gate is probably what I would pick there. Um, the other cards are good, but not quite as versatile. Waystone Gate's just sort of the card that you would play no matter what archetype you happen to be in, because it fixes your influence and uh, gives you a big um, mid-game slash end-game threat. Yeah, and 75% of the time you're going to be in time, so it's probably right. making your deck. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real easy to play. I've splashed Waystone Gate before. Normally, you don't splash the card that's capable of fixing your influence, but Waystone Gate uh, is that is good enough that that was the correct decision. <laughs> yeah, you know, actually, I didn't mention this in um, in the Seven Wind Deck breakdown um, section, but one of the surprising things to me is actually how little time is being splashed in our Seven Wind decks. It is the lowest of the splash colors. So um, 78 of the 156 decks have splashes. So about about half of them have a splash. Exactly half have a splash? Wow. Um, only nine of them are time splashes compared to like Fire and Justice, which are um, 19 and 17 respectively, and then Primal and Shadow are in the 20s as far as decks that splash those colors. Well, my first thought there is that if 75% of the decks are have time as their main faction, then that's just not a lot of decks that can possibly splash time. 
<laughs> I guess that's true. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so maybe actually time is probably overrepresented as a splash. Um, yeah, I actually hadn't considered that. Uh, so that makes perfectly perfect sense. That there's just like not a lot of room for time splashes when every deck is time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, like what the statistic that we want, and I know you probably don't have this right in front of you, is out of all of the decks that include time, how often is it a splash? Uh huh. Well, that's well, that's easy because you just add the two numbers. But there's like a yeah, that doesn't that doesn't really help us either. We we don't okay. have to go into this now because okay. you know like 118 decks have time as the main color, and nine decks have time as a splash. Oh, okay. I, I didn't realize that the, the the decks that had time as a splash and the decks that have time as a main color were two entirely separate sets of decks. Yes. But this even, is now even if they a weren't. statistics cast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well... Okay, so at any rate, um, one of the reasons that time is so overrepresented is that its uncommons are absurdly versatile and strong. Waystone Gate and Nahid's Distillation, two of the best uncommons in the set, and this is one of them. Yes. Yeah, here, here um, now I got distracted. So there's 118 decks at 156. So that's. <laughs> That means 38 decks have have no or 38 decks aren't main time, right? Okay. Nine of those 38 have time as a splash, which means that um, a quarter of all non time deck non time main decks yeah. are splashing time. That's still which, quite a few, yeah. Which is quite a few. So time is like also a great splash. Is yep. so the opposite of what I started the segment with. I'm glad I didn't bring this up in the main show. Yeah, no, this is fine though. No editing in this, so yeah. I'm, <laughs> but I'm, also, it makes sense. Regretting uh, that decision. So, oh, and the numbers. The numbers helped us here. They got us to the right place. Yeah. All right. Yep. Yeah. And so I took Waystone Gate, um, as you suggested. It's just such a powerful card. It's great in your main deck, great to splash. All right, so going into pack or pick two, cards in contention. An uh, uncommon was taken. The rare is not very good. But the two uncommons left are, the once again, another pillar of progress, which is the two Combray Relic. There is a Dancing Flame, which is the five fire four four with fate. Dancing Flame gets charged, plus two, plus two, or it's cost reduced by two. And that's random. And then there is also um, a dive bomb, a triumphant return, tainted mark, and a rage heart paladin. Okay. So uh, what well, are you my, looking at here? My first thought would be Dancing Flame. I'm pretty impressed with that card. Uh, the Dancing Flame, you can never entirely predict what it does. The effect, uh, its bonus is, ra is random, but all three versions of the card are very good. Probably the 4-4 four, four, for 5 with charge is the least impressive of those, 
but it's still an entirely playable card. You would you would see a 4-4 four, four, four with charge for 5 and go, I can probably make that work in my deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other two forms, the 6-6 six, six for 5 and the 4-4 four, four for 3, are bananas. And if you have any way of bringing this thing back from the void, which is pretty easy to, to make happen in this format, um, then it becomes even better because it gets the bo- it gets another bonus. So uh, that would be the card that would be the clear front runner for me here. Mm-hmm. And so next, what would you be looking at? Uh, that's a little harder. Um, I, I wouldn't want to be tied to Waystone Gate, even though I uh, a person is likely to end up in time in this format. I would might my, my I might look at Triumphant Return here. Uh, mm-hmm. I know I maybe may value that card a little higher than some people, but I do think it's a really good effect. Uh, I think it's really hard to deal with something when you bring it back from the void and give it plus two plus two. Um, there's not a huge amount of removal for large units in this format, so sometimes. Yeah. When you bring something back with Triumphant Return, it gets outside of the range of all of the damage-based removal in the format, and there's not very many things that outright kill a unit. So I think I would probably be looking at Triumphant Return there. Okay. Yeah, I, I kind of, for me, it was, it was really between Dancing Flame and Triumphant Return, where I almost, I think if I were just draft yeah drafting this, I'd probably take Triumphant Return. Um but I'm a little bit more comfortable in Shadow than Fire in this format. Um, I ended up actually taking Pillar of Progress because I was streaming this draft, and uh, Pachi was in there telling me I should draft a creation deck. Okay. <laughs> so Well, we'll go from there then, yeah. I yeah. mean, creation is always strong, so I, I think Pachi is uh, pretty comfortable forcing um, in this format. I know that Pachi told me early on in the format that uh, they had uh, like six, seven win decks in a row just forcing creation. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that that's something that they feel comfortable doing. Yeah, exactly. So th- next, this is pick three, um, cards in contention. There's a shard binder, which is the two times three one with overwhelm. And the first time you activate a relic or spellcraft it uh, that ability costs three less there is a fire conjuring which is the three fire fire your units get plus two attack this turn and you can decimate for invoke then um other cards that are in contention um there's no commons in fire uh the only there's no time commons the only common injustice is siege provisions and then there are a couple good um fire and primal cards the fire car being stone powder bomber which is the six fire fire five four exalted on your turn and a biting wind in primal yeah yeah definitely uh it's always worth mentioning biting winds um but this seems like the easiest shard binder ever yes it it is, yeah. When you have a Waystone Gate, uh, it's a good idea to pick up Shardbinder. I think. Yeah. I think that's a good rule of thumb. Agreed. Yeah. Um, uh, Shardbinder tends to be a really strong playable card anyway, uh, but the reason that it's strong and playable is that you have the potential to pick up cards like Waystone Gate. Yeah. And if you already Do you have pick one, pick up Shardbinders before you have these kind of cards, or is this Sometimes. usually coming second? 
it depends. Uh, the potential of the card is so high, I'll sometimes take it if there's nothing else exciting in the pack relatively early when I don't have anything to play it with. Um, but normally, I will have something uh, that it goes with, at least one card that it goes with before I pick it up. But it's mm-hmm. also like a perfectly playable two-drop on its own. It's a little overpowered for a typical two-drop, it just being a 3-1 with Overwhelm. So it's not a bad card, but because of the format is the way it is, you do tend to cut those cards at the end if they don't synergize with anything. Right. Um, I just think it synergizes with things often enough that it's usually a pretty safe pick as long as there's nothing else that you're actually like excited about. Um, I would take Biting Winds here if you didn't already have a Waystone Gate, for example. Yeah. I would, I would, I would put that above Shardbinder for this pick. But since you do have a Waystone Gate um, and it's easy to pick up other cards that go with a Shardbinder, i definitely pick it up here. Yes, I agree. Um, and that's what I picked. So right now I have, as a reminder, I have the Shardbinder, Waystone Gate, and Pillar of Progress. So this is pick four, Cards of Contention. There is a Display of Menace, which is the three Fire Primal Shadow um, display. There is, um, those are really the only good higher rarity cards. There is a Precision Plunge in Time. And then Justice, there is a Siege Provisions and an Enchanted Plate Mail. The only Primal card in the common level is Overlook Spotter. Um, And so those are really the cards in contention. There's no Fire card besides for the Display of Menace in this pack. Okay. I don't think this is an easy pick. Uh, I think Siege Provisions, Token of Creation, and Enchanted Plate Mail are all in contention here. But mm-hmm. I don't like picking up tokens this early uh, if I've got if I can still pick up playable cards. Um, and honestly, I don't know between the siege provisions and the plate mail. Siege provisions and plate mail both play well with shard binder. Pillar of progress leads me towards wanting the plate mail a little bit more. So you can often end up with better relic weapons than plate mail in your final deck. But um, since there's nothing really exciting in this pack, just having the plate mail as kind of a safety. Uh, so you definitely have at least one expensive relic weapon that can draw you a card in the late game. Uh, it appeals to me. It appeals to me more than Siege Provisions because even though Siege Provisions is probably sort of a better card overall, uh, it's you only ever want one in your deck and you'll end up with one. Like you're not going to get through the whole draft without seeing another Siege Provisions if you want one. Yeah. So that, I would actually lean towards plate mail here. That's that's interesting because I I agree with that assessment. Except I often find myself having way too many enchanted plate mails in my deck. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's like my most cut cards. <laughs> when it, not that I don't play them, but I'll have four of them in my pool, and then I've never ended up with that many. So I guess that's a. Not a problem that I've had, but it does have pledge, so it's a more playable card than it looks like on its on its face. That's I'm very true. high on pledge in this format. I love having a, a, like three or four pledge uh, cards in my deck and just like smoothing out that weird, awkward, slow playing mana curve. Yeah, and one of the nice things about plate mail is it it actually really um, synergizes with shard binder because it is a spellcraft and mm-hmm. it's an expensive weapon. Um, on its own, but like the difference between paying five power for a weapon and drawing a card and paying seven power for a weapon and drawing a card is like really quite a big difference. You're, yeah. I, you know, at least in my drafts, 
you know, you're it's much, much easier to get five power than it is to get seven power. Yes. So but I I ended up taking the siege provisions, like I said. Maybe this was just because a draft or two before I got um no exaggeration, a tenth, eleventh, and twelfth pick enchanted plate mail. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think, well, a lot of people don't value it that high, and it's fair not to value it that high. It is an expensive card without a huge amount of board impact. Um, and I, and sometimes you will cut multiples from your deck, but uh, just here, there's not a lot of other things to get excited about in the pack, so it just seems like the best pick to me. Yes. Um, okay, and then going into pick five, I think this is kind of the an interesting pick for me. Um this is cards in contention. There is a fire conjuring again. This is the three fire fire uh, uh, fast spell that you can invoke for fire. Does uh, gives plus two attack to all your units. There's another display of menace, and then in time, the only real card is turn back time, and then in justice, there's an ensnare. And there's also a soul drain smithing in this pack in fire. And so this is like, for me, felt like this could potentially be a pivot pick. And I was just wondering what your perspective on this was. Uh, it's interesting that you would say that it's a pivot pick. I'm not sure what we would be pivoting to exactly. It is the second display of Menace that we've seen in a row, uh, but that's pretty common. People don't really like to be in Menace. Yes, no, I guess what I mean is, like, for me, it feels like some kind of fire-based oh, sure. deck. We have is, been seeing a lot of fire, for sure. Yeah, I mean, seeing two fire conjuring... Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like, this deck could potentially... What's weird is, like, this deck, being that we're currently base Combray, could turn into a creation deck, which would like a Soul Drain Smithing, but we don't have any weapons yet. Um, you know, the only time card is Turn Back Time, which is a good card, but it's also a card that I feel like I can get overloaded on sometimes. You only really want one copy of... Yeah. So it's, and there hasn't been a lot of good time cards recently. Um, so it just felt like maybe I was, I was just wondering if I was getting into the situation where I just like keep ending up in these time justice primal decks just because all the cards are pretty good. And it's like, and because you started with, you know, these powerful time uncommons and stuff, you mm -hmm. end up later in the pack picking sort of medium cards in the same color instead of like realizing, you know, wow, I could have like a double fire conjuring or double display of menace and, you know, be drafting one of these sort of maybe less obviously powerful archetypes. Um, but if it's actually ends up being fully open, you know, you could have a better deck. Sure. Yeah, well, I don't mind picking up Fire Conjuring here. Uh, it's not my favorite of the Conjurings anyway, so it's a little bit, like, it's a little hard to get excited about it, even though we have seen a couple in a row. Because that doesn't necessarily mean people are are avoiding fire. It could just mean that they don't, they also don't like Fire Conjuring. Um, 
but there's really nothing else in the pack. Uh, Ensnare is another card where it's really good in the decks where it's good because you need a certain amount of flying defense in some decks, but you don't want to play a bunch of them. Um, so you'll end up with like one Ensnare, and then maybe you have it, maybe you leave it in the deck, but you're always sort of considering cutting it. Um, and yeah, Turn Back Time is another one of those cards that's really powerful, but you don't want to play a whole bunch of them. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind picking up the Fire Conjuring there, but my first thought was to just pick up a Turn Back Time, um, and have like this versatile time core and then, uh, and then try to read signals going forward. Yep. And that's actually what I did, but I was just wondering if maybe I was sort of settling too hard into like a comfort zone of just like, ah, you'll probably end up with enough good time cards because it's time. Yeah. And, um, and maybe I should have been a little like braver and ventured, ventured into these like other colors that seem at least like, you know, this draft is implying that they're open. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's a, there's like a 100% answer on yeah. that. No, I, I agree. Anyway, all right, we can go to the next pick. So, like I said, I picked up the turn back time, and this is the final pick we'll review. We'll be reviewing. This is pick six. Um, cards in contention. Uh, the only uncommon left is Mysterious Waystone, um, which is the five shadow shadow cursed relic that deals damage to the opponent and grows bigger if you sacrifice people. Um, in time, there's a humbug nest. In Primal, there is a Biting Winds, and in Justice, there's a Willbreaker. And then we had kind of talked about Fire being open, possibly. There's only an Inferno Zealot and a Ruinous Burst in this in this pack, as far as Fire goes, and there's a Token of Menace. Yeah, those are Fire cards, again, that um, don't indicate that Fire is open, because there's enough people that just wouldn't pick them up under any circumstances. Uh, so you can't really tell. That's why signaling is sometimes really difficult in this format, is that there's a lot of cards that people just straight up don't like. Yes. Um, that's late for Abiding Winds, but uh, also seeing a Humbug Nest this late is an indication that time isn't being cut, so I would probably just pick up the Humbug Nest. Uh, like I was saying in the main episode, I do cut Humbug Nest from decks that don't need it, but that doesn't mean that it isn't, at its base, a very, very, very good card. You can end up with synergy that goes with it um, pretty easily, like uh, any of the Obelisk effects that you can end up with. In, like It's not uncommon to see a Horn of Plenty or two in packs two and three, and then suddenly Humbug Nest is very, very, very strong. It's good with turn back time, because making more Humbugs is better than making Humbugs once. It's good with Siege Provisions because your Flyers get to hit harder. So I would take Humbug Nest here for sure. All right. Yeah, I actually ended up taking the Biting Winds. Um, um, I don't know. Sort of like how, what you said with, you know, it's late for a Biting Winds. It it's is. a really yeah. good card. Yeah, and, it definitely is. And then I ended up just drafting sort of a, a good to... A pretty good um, time justice primal deck as one does mm -hmm. in this format. Yeah, but Biting Winds is an interesting card because it is um, it is very strong, but also it it gets 
worse, the better your opponent is. Mm-hmm. You can really ice people out of a game by by putting them on biting wins accurately and then playing around it. And uh, and so it's not that it's a bad card. It's still very clearly powerful. And once somebody has you on biting wins, they still have to basically offer up something to sacrifice to it. Um, but you can... It, it's... I don't know. I'm, uh, it It does... You can really fall behind on tempo if you're counting on it to save you. <laughs> I shouldn't have ended my sentence there. I should have ended it at another time <laughs> when you were able to respond. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, that's actually really true. This happened in a, a game I had recently where I had uh, a Shalut captain in in the air, as well as the uh, four or five dragon, the Draconis. And my opponent passed with three power up. And, you know, the question is, do you attack there? Because, you know, it seems like pretty obvious that they have a, a biting winds, but like eventually you have to attack. But what I did have in hand was, um, the I forget what it's called the stone the um the sentinel the five five for five in praxis with overwhelm and entomb plus five power yeah and so what I was able to do was not attack with my flyers play that and the next turn just attack with the five five and so they were forced to because they held up the well they weren't forced to but because they held up the three power. You know, they biting they biting winds to my five five, giving me twelve power for the turn, mm-hmm. and um, actually allowed me to. This was like the one time B- bottled storm was good. Play a bottled storm, trigger it three times, and then draw three cards. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I had uh, I had a game um, where my opponent played a wormstone on turn four. And then on turn five, played a two drop and left up three power. And, uh, you know, I had good attacks if he doesn't have biting winds. But I thought, you know, I'll bet they have biting winds. <laughs> <laughs> and what if biting winds is the only spell in their hand and they need to cast it to make the wormstone trigger and get their 7 7? So I just didn't attack, even though I had very strong attacks that turn. Uh, and that won the game for me, that decision, because uh, they didn't have another spell that could make the 7-7 seven, seven until, uh, until I had a, a board presence that didn't care about the 7-7 seven, seven anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of thing. Um, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's like Dive Bomb that way. Like Dive Bomb is a card that once you have your opponent on it, you can kind of play around it uh, a little bit. And uh, I guess with any fast spell, really, if you're good at reading your opponent's hand... Um, None of that makes it not a powerful card, though. Biting Winds is still one of your best removal options at common in this format. Um, it's just you gotta you gotta be aware of the drawbacks of it. Play yeah. play some mind games uh, occasionally. And you you ha- also have to learn how to play against it. I mean, yeah. and I think I, some of those cards are the most challenging because, like in that situation, you know, it's like you really feel like you're missing out on damage, right? And you really have to weigh the the benefit you know the pros and cons because you know there are i'm sure situations where 
it might, you know, depending on the texture of your hand, where you might just have to attack into the biting winds because you don't really have a follow up and you do eventually need to attack them. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you might have a Shugo's hooked sword in your hand. It's a seven five relic weapon, and if somebody has a biting winds in their hand and you attack with a hooked sword, they can just they can just destroy it. Yeah. Uh, and maybe so probably you want to if you have them on biting winds, then you want to bait it out of their hand with something, even if you have to get one of your good units killed. Yeah, uh, you've got to plan ahead. It's it's a yeah it's interesting those uh, those cards are interesting. Um, yeah. All right, so I think that'll end our <laughs> our draft here with hats looking very dissatisfied for some reason. <laughs> I felt I wanted to say something pithier, and <laughs> I don't know. It's like it's interesting. It's just interesting. <laughs> but uh, I don't have any thoughts about it. No interesting observations, but it's interesting. Yeah. You'll just have to take my word for it. No, I I think we I think we explained why we did. it's we an covered interesting it. card. Yeah, we did a good job. All right, so that that ends our draft portion of our draft podcast. Uh, once again, we'll um, if people enjoy these like little extra drafts, we'll keep doing them. Uh, if you don't enjoy them, we'll stop because they do add add time, and we're trying to figure out how to make the make the podcast a little bit a little snappier than it's been. Um, but yeah, so let us know in Discord or in email uh, if you have any feedback. Um, and thanks for listening. So once again, have a good night. Have a good night. Bye.